At one point in the movie, I uh, asked people to imagine what uh, it would be like if uh, our children's generation, uh, decades from now, looked back uh, and asked why, why didn't uh, our parents do something when they could. And to hear that question now and to realize that the answer uh, must come not with promises but with actions. Uh, and I try to connect the uh, story told by the scientific community about the real world consequences uh, to people in every country. For example, here in Australia, they have long predicted uh, that one consequence of global warming is increasing uh, shortages in the supply of drinking water. And here in Sydney and Brisbane and Perth and other places, you, you've been seeing that come true. They predicted uh, more Category 5 cyclones. You had two of them this year here in Australia and a Category 4 as well. Uh, to me, um, this is so compelling. I think it's the challenge of uh, our lifetimes. And our lifetimes represent the period when the human species will make fateful decisions that uh, will determine the future of human civilization. Yet, despite the enormity of what you've just suggested, there are global warming sceptics, people disinterested or, or not interested in hearing what you have to say. When you're at a dinner party mm. and a, a global warming sceptic expresses doubt, what do you say to them? What's the thing you're zinging between the eyes with to stop them in their tracks? Well, <laughs> I had a dinner party in uh, Amsterdam not long ago, and uh, there were, I was at a dinner party, and uh, there were about 12 people at my table, and uh, skeptic spoke up and I said, well, you know, there are some 15% of the people who think that the Apollo landing on the moon was staged in a movie lot in, in Arizona. And I promise you, this young man said, well, as a matter of fact, and <laughs> so I, I realized that I had to come up with another, another zinger for this uh, young guy. It, it was, though, wasn't it? The, well, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that Nixon was up to no good. Yeah, yeah. I will ask you a bit later in the interview about the things we can do to combat this, but first of all, let's look at some attitudes that uh, confront what you're suggesting. A columnist, a well-known columnist in this country wrote earlier this year that even if climate change is man-made, there's little Australia could do that would make any difference that we could measure mm. because our emissions would be dwarfed by China's mm. and India's. As this is a global problem mm. with no definable boundaries, how do you get the international community, that can't seem to agree on anything, to agree to action on this? Mm. Well, since the end of World War II, there's been the same basic architecture for every uh, international treaty. The wealthier countries that have the wherewithal to go first have agreed to take the first steps and then after we uh, find the pathway and chart the course, then the, the poorer nations where per capita income is just a fraction of what it is in Australia and the United States, uh, they then join in uh, the, the work. And the, um, the Kyoto Treaty, the first of the treaties to come on, on uh, the climate crisis, is based on that same model. And if uh, the, the wealthiest countries, including Australia and the United States, the two holdouts, uh, refuse to act, then there's little chance that China and India will. If, on the other hand, we do act, then w that creates the conditions where these developing nations uh, have, to, have to act. Right now, Australia and 
the United States are the Bonnie and Clyde of the global community on uh, the climate crisis. And, and um, you know, if Bonnie goes straight uh, and reforms, then Clyde is out there isolated and would feel a lot of pressure to change. If Australia changed its policy, it would put enormous pressure on the U.S. to change. Seriously? Seriously. Speaking of the leadership of this country, our Prime Minister has said, look, I, I broadly accept the science of global warming, but I disagree with the most severe scenarios. This is what he had to say yesterday about Kyoto and why Australia isn't signed up to it. If we sign the Kyoto Protocol, we would destroy a lot of Australian industry and we would send Australian jobs to countries like China and Indonesia and India. Now, that's, that's a commonly heard point that to somehow or other cut emissions is going to destroy the economy. Is it possible to cut emissions and not destroy the economy? Of course. And uh, there's a, an argument that's always made by, often by uh, industries that have a lot of pollution.